We're live. My guest today is Bo Du. He's co-founder at Polymer Labs. Polymer is advancing Web3 interoperability by building a universal and modular IBC router that expands the IBC network. Super exciting. In today's conversation, we'll discuss why it's hard to expand IBC outside of Cosmos SDK chains, and we'll also dive deep into IBC and how it works. We'll talk about I optimistic IBC, ZK IBC, uh, their new ZK-friendly tenement consensus engine. I guess it's not that new. They released it a couple or they announced it a couple months ago, uh, and uh, integrating Polymer with the modular stack. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks other interoperability solutions are not protocols. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And remember that now what we discuss here on the Interop is investment advice. And if you like what we're doing on this channel, please consider sticking with us. We're validating on the FMOS, Quicksilver, Osmosis, and Juno. Just look for Interop in the active set. And I hope you've booked your flights to Paris for the summer. Bo, I know you have, because Nebula Summit is happening on July 24th and 25th. It's a two-day conference technical talks about Cosmos, IBC, the Interchain, no panels, no suits, just tech talks and a lot of fun. Tickets are still on sale and you can get those at nebular.builders. And if you're coming to Nebular Summit, you should also register for Nebular Hack Day. That's happening on the 23rd. It'll be technical workshops. You can find all the, web, the details on the website. My guest, Bodu, is coming up next, right here on the Interop. Hi, Bo. How's it going? Not bad. How about yourself? Great. Thanks for joining me here on the Interop. I've been wanting to get you guys on the show for a long time. And Peter was always like, yeah, it's not, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. <laughs> but I'm glad today is the right time because, uh, yeah, Polymer is super cool. And you, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but so <laughs> many teams that I talk to, tell me that they're integrating with Polymer and they're looking forward to Polymer and Polymer is going to solve so many problems. And so uh, I wanted to get you on the show to talk about uh, IBC, hopefully getting a better understanding of IBC. You know, we've talked about IBC on this channel so many times, but just getting a deep technical understanding of it, how it works um, and why it's hard to integrate IBC with other chains uh, that uh, you know don't support common BFT and, um, and so much more. So yeah, first, how did you get interested in interoperability as a, as a problem that you wanted to work on? Uh, I would say it started with my time working part-time in, in DeFi. So I spent some time moonlighting um, on the side on a number of Ethereum DeFi protocols. And this is kind of at the tail end of DeFi summer. You had an expansion to different chains like BSC uh, and, and so on. And you had some of these early uh, like in, interoperability products <clears throat> like um, multi-chain uh, slash any swap. And there's also like other existing solutions uh, like decentralized custodians or, or somewhat decentralized custodians like REN. Uh, <clears throat> and at the time we were trying to expand what we call. Yeah, <laughs> I was, uh, um, we were actually collaborating with them as someone in the, in the early days. Uh, like they actually had similar ideas to uh, what Axelar is doing now. Uh, like they had like the Ren VM, they, like Axlar's like, you know, AVM, although it's not really Axlar's VM, it's uh, Cosmosm. <clears throat> but Ren, you know, had some of these plans and some of these ideas. 
And as I was building on the DeFi side, I was like, oh, maybe we can explore like how, how we can expand cross-chain. And then through that expansion, it was kind of like apparent to us, like if you wanted to build something cross-chain, you had to build like another blockchain. Because there was no way to like really uh, seamlessly interrupt. There was no like uh, general interoperability solution across all these different ecosystems at that time, uh, which makes sense because you know it was like a heavily concentrated on Ethereum, a lot of the DeFi, and I slowly started expanding out. You have early projects like Thorchain uh, try to tackle this, um, but then when we started to build, I guess some of the early versions of of, of uh, what we wanted to do on the interoperability side, we kind of realized that uh, the solution that we're building was like very similar. Uh, to to like <clears throat> IBC. So as we're trying to solve some of the questions of, you know, if I have two smart contracts on two different chains, if I want to negotiate uh, versioning across them, if I want to like handle upgradability, uh, if I want to have like authenticated communication paths, as, as you like go down the laundry list of features, you end up in like a very similar place to IBC. So like through this building process and also through this like discovery process, we hard like focused on we should just build with IBC, figure out how to extend this protocol to all these different chains. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and very needed because I think for a lot of folks in the Cosmos space uh, that have been following, you know, Cosmos since the beginning, IBC has always, at least for me, been this, this really impressive uh, standard that we all hoped would spread to other chains outside of the interchain ecosystem. And it really feels like that's starting to happen. You know, there are teams that, I mean, obviously you guys are a big part of that, uh, helping that work uh, happen. There, there are teams that are building IBC, you know, connections to uh, Avalanche, to Solana, to the move ecosystem, to, to Near, et cetera. And uh, it, it really feels like the IBC pill is spreading across uh, the boundaries of cosmos or the interchain is that something you're also seeing happening like when speaking with teams outside of cosmos do they do they have knowledge about ibc are they familiar with it are they bullish on it or are other interoperability solutions uh favored there yes yeah, i see that a lot of folks that are very interested in ibc uh as you mentioned there are a number of teams building with it and extending it to different ecosystems but I, to play devil's advocate here, I also see there's a lot of folks that, you know, it, it's difficult to integrate natively. So there's a lot of folks that, have, you know, maybe have tried to do it. Um, maybe they have like different opinions on like why, um, you know, we should have something simpler. I've, I've seen the argument for like, oh, connections, channels, packets, that's, you know, it's too complicated. Like, why, why don't we have, just have like a simple get posting? Um, and I think what a lot of people miss is there's layers to the stack. And I think what's often missed is the, the concept of these layers and, and how they fit into each other. Since like, if you think about the problem from like, let's make something super simple, like get post or just, I'm just gonna send some bytes from one chain to the next. <clears throat> it limits what you can build. Since essentially what you're describing is an application layer protocol and not a transport layer protocol. And we'll, and we'll get into that more uh, uh, through the rest of this podcast. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's, that's accurate. I think realizing that there's more than just sending bytes from one chain to the other. I mean, you, you, you have to uh, take into account, of course, the transport layer, the, 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 um, the sort of adversarial uh, space that exists there, right, in, in the transport layer between different uh, chains, and then the state layer. I mean, state needs to update between uh, on, on two different uh, 
uh, state machines, and that needs to happen in lockstep. It needs to happen uh, accurately, right? Like if assets are minted on one chain, well, they have to be destroyed on the other, and that that has to happen in a certain sequence and uh, with with some degree of uh, of certainty. And so all these things taken into consideration make interoperability so difficult. I mean, that's why interoperability in crypto has been so difficult. So. Let's let's dive into IBC a little bit, and I'd like to maybe start by describing. Let's take a, a simple example. Let's say the example that a lot of people are probably familiar with, right? They listen to this podcast is moving tokens from chain A to chain B. Let's take like, you know Adam, like Cosmos Zone. We're moving Adam to Osmosis. When when you open Kepler and you initiate a an IBC transaction from Cosmos to Osmosis. What's happening behind the scenes, like from the atom zone to the cosmos zone? How are those? How is that information being transferred, and how do you magically end up with like atom on your on your Kepler wallet over on, on Osmosis? So I'm going to gloss over some of the the transport layer details and focus on what's happening at the application layer, since token transfer or ICS twenty is an application standard. It's an example of what can be built on the IBC transport standard. Um, but I, I would say that like, it's not, it, it doesn't, it can be built on any transport standard, but um, <clears throat> on the IBC transport in, in particular, you're able to kind of like agree on some semantics here. So <clears throat> for when someone transfers some tokens, they're essentially uh, escrowing those original tokens. So it's not like the tokens get burned. So that, I think a lot of people have this uh, misconception that these tokens are burned and, and then minted on some other chain. They're actually escrowed by what's known as like a module-owned account. This is essentially controlled by the chain's consensus. Since you have uh, some chain that has some consensus, you're able to have like a chain-owned account. It's not owned by a private key. It's owned by a specific uh, SDK module on, on that chain. When <clears throat> these tokens are then transferred over, you mint a, uh, essentially, you can think of it as a wrapped asset because you're, you're, you're tracking the denomination. And what's in the denomination is you've taken the token identifier, which may be some, let's just say it's like token, uh, like Adam, <clears throat> and then you're adding the, the channel path, like slash channel ID, let's say you transferred over uh, like channel zero, so it'd be channel zero, uh, and, and that's what you get on, on the chain that you transfer to. This, this information is relative to source. So from the, starting from the original chain, it matters which uh, channel you've gone over because all this channel information is, is only, uh, only maps the chains based on the view from the source chain of all the, all the additional chains. There's no like global identifier saying that you transferred this token to uh, like Juno or, or, or Osmosis. There's no like global Osmosis or Juno identifier. It's all relative. So every single chain has a relative view of every other chain. I and mean, this, this is a very difficult concept for uh, most users to, to, to grasp. Um, they just assume that there's probably like, oh, there's like this global like DNS thing where everyone like knows which chain your, your token's on. Yeah. But so, so just to stop on that point for a second. So what you're saying is that chains know the identifiers of the chains that they're connected to, but beyond yes. that, they don't have, they don't. So for example, when moving atom to osmosis we're using a channel that channel has an identifier now when moving those atom from osmosis then to juno that's a different identifier a different channel atom has no idea that that channel exists 
it only knows yes. the channels that it's connected to. And so it's yes. you know, think of it kind of like a hub and spoke, right? So you've got the hub and then there's all these spokes that go out and that's that's the only thing they know about. They don't know about anything else beyond that. Yes, yes, that's correct. And, and the, the channel thing is intentional. So I think there's a lot of people uh, complaining about the, the UX. The UX can be improved. The security UX forms the basis for why they went down this design path in the first place. Because the thinking is that right now, every single connection in the cosmos is like roughly the same. They use like, you know, tenement like client consensus. Um, the, the channels are to a specific chain. You have a certain level of security. When you have these modular security prim uh, primitives that are being built in various ecosystems, and you see a lot of interop solutions training towards modular security, you get a, a situation where potentially the channel, the security of a channel is not one-to-one -one anymore. So even if you're connected to the same chain, you could have different types of connections for that chain. And now like the non-fungibility aspect of the, of the token becomes a, a feature um, versus like a bug. Because like, if one of these connections is attacked, you maybe don't want to expose the, the risk of that particular state bridge uh, to these, these, other, um, these other tokens that are minted on, on a more secure, uh, more secure channel. Right. So this is the issue that we've talked about here on the show before, which which is this this fungibility aspect. If you if you let, let's come back to this example, the Cosmos Hub mm -hmm. to Osmosis to Juno. Now, if you were to move back, if you were to move those atoms from Juno back to back to Cosmos, those are not native atoms anymore. Those are now mm -hmm. Juno atoms that that you've piped through osmosis that are arriving uh, on your, uh, on, on, on the, uh, on the cosmos zone. If you want to get native atoms again, you've got to wind those transactions back in order to get your native yes. atom again. And this is the, um, uh, this is one of the mod. Uh, so, so strange love is working on a module, I believe with a uh, yep. noble team in order to all, always just be one step away essentially from, uh, from the chain, the original chain of departure, such that we don't run into this issue. H how big of an issue is this, though? I mean, how how often do tokens end up like on another chain, like on, on a chain where they're they're not fungible with the original token? My understanding is this happens quite often. Since like from if, if I'm a regular user and I don't like uh, <clears throat> I'm not a like an infrastructure developer. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that like if I have some token, like let's say I have some atom, if regardless of like where I transferred from, if I'm transferring to a specific chain, regardless of the like the denomination path that I'm on, even if I've traversed already like four different chains and these are different paths, I'm expecting the same token. So like my understanding is that most users, just logically speaking, they're like, I have this atom token. If I transfer to Juno, it should be fungible with all the other atom that I've transferred to Juno. Why isn't it fungible? I, I think that's the that's that's the question that you that you're posing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so once those tokens arrive on the destination chain, so I think this was an an important thing that I learned here is that they're they're not they're not burned on the originating chain. They're escrowed, so they're locked. Yes. And then what you end up with on the on the uh, destination chain is a wrapped, essentially what is a wrapped asset that represents mm -hmm. uh, the the tokens that are escrowed on the destination chain. And so there's an agreement yeah. between these chains that, well, 
you know, Cosmos validators are not going to relinquish those tokens again, like on the Cosmos chain. And, um, and, and, and then we would end up sort of like with two, two, um, two piles of tokens on, on two different chains. Um, is there a mechanism that prevents that, that prevents rogue, like a rogue validator or maybe like a rogue validator set on the originating chain to uh, unescrow those tokens? Yeah, I mean, if, if the chain gets uh, taken over, if there's a if there's a, an attack, an economic attack on a chain somewhere in the middle of the path, the 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 security of the token becomes a minimum of the security of one of the networks in that path, which is why like yeah. the, the non fungibility thing was a was a design choice, because like if, if you have a token that was like transferred over, let's say like five different chains, the minimum of the security across that path versus a direct connection is is, is very different. Hmm. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more later, I think, when we're talking about, uh, about security. So what, what uh, kind of considerations... So in, in the context of two Cosmos chains, I think it's, it's pretty clear how that works, and I think a lot of people are familiar with that. And mm -hmm. it works because Cosmos chains are able to verify... They have like clients that are able to verify the state of each other, and also because they have the same consensus mechanism. What considerations must one take into account when implementing IBC outside of Cosmos? So with, you know, any other chain that's not a Cosmos SDK, you know, Comet BFT chain, what, what considerations must be made in order to, well, A, determine whether or not IBC will work out of the box and, uh, and B, you know, potentially implementing IBC in like some other way. So there's a few layers to the IBC protocol. You have, the application layer, which we went over one example just now with ICS20 or token transfer. <clears throat> you have the transport layer, which is the IBC core specifications. There's like the concept of a connection, which is a conversation between two chains, channel, which is a conversation between two smart contracts or, or modules. <clears throat> and it is a concept of a packet, which is just some data that you want to send. And then there's a concept of the state layer or how state is bridged. And I think when most people like talk about bridges, that's all they think about. They just, they just think about like, how is state from uh, one chain bridge to another? So like when someone refers to a canonical bridge or like a roll-up bridge, that bridge is bridging state. <clears throat> like how the packets are encoded, what the messaging semantics are, that's a transport layer concern. Most of these bridges actually don't really have a, a flushed out uh, transport layer standard. So you have to implement all these, these three things, these three layers on the chain that you're integrating with. Okay, got it. Um, and so specifically when it comes to the state layer, because I think the state layer is where we, we run into the most complexity when it comes to uh, having IBC be compatible across, you know, chains that are outside of the Cosmos ecosystem. What is it about different state layers, i.e. consensus engines that make it difficult to, for example, implement IBC between Osmosis and main main net Ethereum. I actually have a, a different opinion. My, 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 my opinion kind of goes against the grain here. It's uh, I, I think that the, the transport layer is actually what's uh, annoying to, to implement. Since at the at the state layer, you can, you know, with like the modular security model, you can make certain trade-offs. Like let's say you verify consensus is too expensive. Well, why don't we like shove a relayer in a TE 
And like now you can have a connection. It's not at the same level as the security. You know, you're, you're making some trade-offs here, but you can get connected. You can bring state from a chain to another chain um, or we're using some sort of like guardian set or, or, or something. Um, the, the transfer layer is, is tricky because when you want to integrate it natively, you're essentially exposing the internal implementation details of that particular chain with the rest of the network. And I think that's, that's not the, the right model to go down. And what I mean by that is the transport standard is a, is a specification around how do you make sense of the state that you just bridged? So you, you bridge some state, some like uh, state route or uh, I, I, on the transport side, I, I call it like a transport route. You bridge some like commitment. How do you make sense of the commitment? Like what, what are all the smart contracts talking to each other? Uh, <clears throat> what, what about the type of connection used? Can you describe that as well? And then, then also the, the data being sent over, sent over uh, these two chains as, as well. The issue is that I think we need to kind of separate the uh, interoperability stack away from the stack of uh, a particular chain itself. So my, my long-term opinion is that I don't think IBC should exist as uh, SDK modules. So right now, in like the even in the Cosmos stack, it exists above Tendermint. So like there's Tendermint, there's Cosmos SDK, there's ABCI. At the SDK layer, IBC is a module. And I think it needs to kind of right. move from being a module to being a first-class infrastructure primitive where IBC sits next to Tendermint, Tendermint goes over ABCI to some SDK, and then IBC should go over a virtual IBC or some sort of interface where it can talk to uh, an SDK that's in integrating it or a, a chain that's integrating it, whatever, whatever that may be. And, and these two things should be two distinctive, uh, two distinctive primitives. Okay, so in the case of, in the case of uh, the, like the transfer between say Cosmos and uh, the Cosmos Hub and, and, and the Ethereum mainnet chain, uh, the, the issue is making sense of with the state that it's receiving. So a Cosmos Hub validator, unless it is, uh, unless it's verifying the entire state of Ethereum through some state verification, like a light client or something like mm -hmm. that, it wouldn't be able to know exactly what it's receiving and also whether it's been settled, right? Like whether it's finalized. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate great. on that yes. a little bit? Yeah, so if, if we're you know, going back to, I guess, the, the state layer, so if we want to bring state from Ethereum over to the, to the Cosmos, uh, there's obviously many ways you can do this. If you, but if you want to verify Ethereum consensus, you run into the issue of Ethereum does not have single slot finality, as you mentioned. You have to wait two justifications of an Ethereum block before it's considered economically final. <clears throat> the finalization is an overlay on top of the block production algorithm. That's an intentional trade-off that they made for, for liveness and also um, uh, safety. Yeah. On the client side at Polymer, we have this uh, internal innovation. So we have the concept of a native light client. So the native light client represents Ethereum consensus. It tracks all the state forks of Ethereum. So it'll track the finalized, uh, the finalized branch, which is the doubly justified branch. But also beneath the, the uh, finalization period, it will track all the uh, existing forks that are, that are happening. <clears throat> and what we overlay on top, what we present to the rest of the, the uh, Cosmos network is you can create a virtual light client, which is a, I would say like an IBC compatible light client. It, it has single slot finality in quotations, meaning that it is, it is implementing a fork choice rule 
over Ethereum consensus, over the native light client. So this overlay makes sense of a chain that doesn't have single slot finality. If you want only finalized block, you would create a virtual light client over the uh, doubly justified for choice rule, which is the economically final Ethereum view. <clears throat> if you want lower latency, you can trade off between security and latency here. You can say, well, I want to only want to wait uh, eight blocks. Well, at eight blocks, you know, you may get reorged out, but we can apply a fork choice rule and choose a fork for you. Um, right now, we're using aggregated view because it's hard to kind of determine the canonical fork here. Um, but since you're able to establish like different views into Ethereum state at different levels of security, so now you can have, let's say, multiple different connections from uh, Ethereum to some other Cosmos chain. And each of these connections can be uh, built with a different security model. Okay, interesting. Well, let's talk about Polymer. Uh, I want to get into Polymer a little bit and understanding like where it sits in the stack. So we, we all know, I guess we all kind of understand like what modular blockchains are. Um, what is modular IBC? Because this is something that I've seen like Polymer talking a lot about is modular IBC. How, how, how do we, so like, what's the mental model that we should be using to think about this concept? The, the main mental model is, uh, I think people previously had the, the misconception that IBC is bound to only using consensus-based light clients and like had a very strict mental model for how the IBC stack uh, was built and, and, and works. But uh, IBC is a lot more flexible than that. IBC can work for modular blockchain. So modular IBC is kind of describing how IBC can work for, for modular blockchains. And a lot of this is really happening at the, the client or, or state layer of, of, of the problem. Because the, the transport layer should be standardized. And then at the state layer, you're connecting to, let's say, a roll-up on, on Celestia. So this, this roll-up on Celestia relies on Celestia for data availability. It can, uh, it, let's say it's an optimistic roll-up. Maybe it's sovereign. Let's say it's sovereign. So there's no like canonical settlement layer. It, it can settle anywhere. In fact, like all the bridges to it are technically like how it settles. So all of its bridges outbound over IBC um, are kind of like the canonical view of, of that of that rollup. Or need to, and this is usually enforced with some sort of social consensus. <clears throat> so on the IBC side, you can say I can have a client for Celestia. So Celestia has a consensus network. This network kind of attests to data being available on the Celestia data availability network. You can have a client for that saying that it will present all of the blocks that are, that are uh, made available on the Celestia network. And then you can establish perhaps an optimistic IBC connection to one of these rollups or these, these sovereign rollups, be it that, uh, that they're optimistic. And then in this optimistic connection, the way it would work is you do the handshake, you post a new block from this optimistic rollup to over this IBC connection to an app chain. The optimistic client will then check. It has a dependency on the Celestia client. It'll ask the Celestia client, hey, have you seen this block? Is this data actually available? If this data is available, then you would start the fraud window because now you know that the data wasn't ma made available on the Celestia network. Anyone would be able to read that data, generate a fraud proof. Therefore, I can start the fraud window. Um, and then after some fraud fraud period, uh, that you would uh, like settle or, or finalize that block. Okay, let, let, let's talk about this. This um, you, you said something here that I think is really interesting, and I think we'll 
help understand where polymer sits in the stack. So you, you said that the transport layer should be standardized. And we said earlier that the transport layer is where we run into the we, we run into issues when working across um, different uh, types of consensus engines. Uh, wh what does that mean exactly when you say the transport layer should be standardized? And is, is this where Polymer sits? So like if we have application layer transport and state, Polymer sits at this kind of transport state layer level, correct? Yes. So the main issue that Polymer is trying to solve is bringing the IBC transport standard to different chains. So the the way we mental modeled it is very similar to, uh, I guess, like what I was talking about before, where like you, you want to separate the idea of the state that you're committing to on the chain itself. So this is execution state. And you want to separate that from transport state, which is all the communications in and out of the blockchain. Like, like my argument is that these two things should be separate things. Like previously, most, I would say all chains have some sort of execution. They have some like, you know, data store, some like data that, they, that they've committed to, and they have a single state route for all of that. I'm arguing that you need a state route. You also need a transport route. So Polymer's main job is to commit to this transport route on behalf of uh, all the chains that it's connecting to. And the advantages of this is if you can standardize on the commitment format for this, this route and also use this, the same data structures for this as well, then the rest of the network only needs to implement the same proof checking logic, meaning that you don't, to integrate a new chain, it's like either you just integrate Polymer directly or you have this uh, library or you integrate IBC as a library, but use it as a completely separate thing, have, have it run kind of separate to the chain process or, 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 the, or the chain logic and be able to leverage existing infrastructure without, so you don't need to build a new relayer you don't need to implement your proof checking logic and have every single chain in the rest of the network adopt it. Now everyone's kind of agreeing on the same language. So it's like now everyone speaks IBC or speaks English and they can all communicate. Um, and then but like how that uh, data is forwarded from chain to chain, that, that's the, the consensus problem that you were mentioning. Like if you want to verify consensus of a chain uh, on another. So, so the the transport standard. When you say the IBC transport standard, is this a standard that exists in the IBC uh, spec, or, or is this is a standard that you guys are proposing? This this exists. So this is the IBC okay. core specification. So this is uh, IBC connections, channels, and packets. Okay. And um, what does does Polymer then make um, relayers somewhat obsolete because? all the transactions are just going through uh, Polymer's transport layer? No, I would say Polymer IBC enables a, a chain, meaning that if Polymer is running or like integrated with a chain, on the relayer side, this chain now becomes visible to the rest of the IBC network as any other Cosmos chain. So I would say Polymer makes a chain look like any other like IBC enabled app chain. Okay, whether it's a Cosmos chain or, or any other chain. Yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, okay, cool. Um, when, so, so when interacting with chains, I, I guess like, you know, maybe this comes back to, you know, when I mentioned at the top of the show, which you think that, which is that you, th you think that most interoperability solutions are not uh, standards, but they're actually products. Um, when comparing Polymer to something like Axelar, you know, Axelar 
essentially acts as a, a, a massive sort of like a massive multi-sig, right? With with uh, a set of validators. Now you can agree, you know, you can you know, make that security trade-off, or you know, and I think most people do, and like it's fine. But um, how, how does like how does Polymer differ from that fundamentally? The difference isn't in the security model, in my opinion, because I think longer long term, every single interoperability solution will converge to the same set of security models that you know have trade-offs in between them. Since like with you know light client-based security, it's going to be somewhat more costly than perhaps just using like a centralized relayer like layer zero, getting more on the the, the centralized side of the security spectrum. Um, I, I think the difference is when you're building this uh, interoperability solution how are you thinking about the problem? So I think for a lot of interoperability solutions, the way they thought about the problem is how can I like do token transfer? How can I solve for this feature, this, this feature, that feature, and a lot of the features they're solving for are application features. Like how do I send some messages or send some bytes? And as they go down this laundry list of answering all these questions, um, they would be going down the same design path as uh, the folks uh, like Chris goes and, um, a lot of the folks at the ICF have, have gone through with IBC because if you want to design a protocol that, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier in the call, that can do like, like version negotiation, handle uh, like channel, channel upgradeability, authenticate communication, there's like a long list of features that as you design your, 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 your protocol, you get to this like standard specification. So I'm saying that a lot of these um, interoperability products are very early in their journey. They've just answered like a few product-facing uh, questions with with what they what they've built, uh, and then right now they kind of need a longer term like reconcile that. So it's possible that they can convert what they've built as a product into a protocol, but that's a very difficult path to take. And the path that we took is we start with the protocol, which is like uh, the, the 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 transfer layer protocol specifically, and try to work off of how do we extend this protocol to other 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 chains where this protocol has a lot of collaboration, it has a lot of builders, it has a lot of network effects. Okay, I see what you're saying. So like, so for, from your perspective, it's like a bottom-up approach, uh, whereas a lot of other interoperability solutions are, are having a more top-down approach, perhaps uh, addressing some issues that applications are facing uh, by making some trade-offs on well, probably, I mean, one, the security model, but also the, uh, like, so like the long-term viability of the solution as the ecosystem converges towards standards and by, yes, by yes, having a bottom-up approach that implements standards first, uh, I mean, you have to make a bet on those standards, of course, yeah. and yeah, we are making the bet standards on. will be, will be winning. And I, I think, I think like, you know, we agree on, on the standards part, uh, that the, the long-term, uh, the long-term implications are that the the standards will win out, and that the applications will benefit from having uh, all the functionality of the standard. Yes, that, that's correct. I, I think from the the product point of view is, if you imagine the end state of the world being every chain has native IBC interoperability, if every chain implements IBC natively a lot of these products don't really have a place in, the, in this world. They've gone off and implemented some custom solution, you know, be it like, I guess in Axelar's case, they have cross-chain gateway protocol. 
they have a lot of things that they built, a lot of features that they've built off of zero standards. Um, they do support IBC because they, you know, they are a native Cosmos chain on, on, the, on the Cosmos side, but they're not trying to extend IBC as a standard to these other chains. So when these other, when these other chains do have IBC implemented, they're just gonna be using IBC directly. Then Axlar no longer has its like monopoly holding on every, because like right now the way it's designed is if you integrate CG, CGP on, on one end, you're not able to switch between that and IBC. With IBC, any chain can be a middle hop and then they kind of like lose a monopoly. So it's kind of like a lot of chains are disincentivized to even uh, try to make IBC a, a broad standard because they kind of like, it weakens their position. So like bo bo the perspective that we've been thinking about it is we want to imagine a world where you do have this like neutral infralayer on, on the interoperability side being IBC. And then with this neutral infralayer, who can build the best infrastructure? Since now, like, because chains can switch easily between providers. So like I can easily switch my channel between uh, one connection versus another. This would be between two, two different middle hops. Who can build the best IBC middle hop? And, that, and that's the, the question that we've been trying to answer with Polymer. Are, are, there, are, are there any useful analogies to standards development in like in web technologies or the OSI model? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any, any interesting analogies that we can draw from other standards like, I don't know, SMTP, for example, right? Which is like the mail standard and how there's been applications that are built on top of that or um, or kind of, you know, different server implementations of SMTP. Are, are there any useful analogies here? I mean, I, I still think the TCP IP analogy is good because there's a clear distinction of where it sits relative to application protocols. Uh, earlier in the call, I mentioned, you know, some folks have taken the view of IBC is too complicated. Why don't we just do like a get posting or perhaps a uh, just a send bytes thing? I would argue that those are application protocols. Um, like, like those are very simple. You can you can build it on top of IBC transport, but that's not the only thing that you can build. So you can have HTTP on top of TCP/IP, but you can have gRPC. You can have like a multitude of different application protocols that can be built on top. And it's not just yeah. uh, application-specific protocols for like token transfer. There's infrastructure protocols that you can build as well. So like the IBC transport layer exposes enough information for you to build uh, decentralized relay incentivization in the form of ICS-29. And I think that's just kind of scratching the surface here. Okay. And, and is the idea so that, is the idea for Polymer to become a, a, a platform where developers can build applications that leverage the standards or does Polymer remain this somewhat um, somewhat uh, agnostic platform and applications are built on the edges? Like what, what is the amount of um, products that you, know, you anticipate Polymer to, to host? I, I don't see Polymer as like hosting these applications uniquely or specifically. Uh, I, I see it more as a like infrastructure primitive. So I, I see it as a neutral infrastructure primitive that extends or like enables IBC enables certain chains and also like acts as a very efficient IBC middle hop uh, to, a, to, our, to our longer term vision. And, and the reason why we, we even want to bring the IBC transport standard to these other chains is because there are there is a lot of innovation on top of the IBC transport already. And a lot of these innovations, uh, like ICS-29, can only be built on the, at least currently, can only be built on the IBC transport standard. 
And with the innovation at the app layer of IBC, we want those, to extend those innovations to other chains. So just by IBC enabling or bringing the IBC transport to a particular chain, you also get all of the IBC application standards that have been created as well. So as like there's, it, it, there becomes like a network effect here of like the more innovation on the app side drives more adoption on the transport side um, and, and, and so on. Cool. Let's let's talk about the um, let's talk about zk IBC, optimistic IBC, and uh, and then uh, later on we can talk about zk Mint. So, what is zk IBC and optimistic IBC, and how is it used? So, at least for the time being, both terms are referring to the type of underlying IBC connection. So, in order to like bridge state is what the connection is responsible for bridge state from chain A to chain B. You can do it using a ZK Light Client or, or ZK IBC connection, or you can use an optimistic client or a ZK or sorry, optimistic IBC connection. So it, it's just referring to, to how the, the state is bridged for now. And and so in in the case of um, in the case of ZK IBC, would would that be used when bridging? tokens over to Ethereum or sending messages to Ethereum or you know, how, how does that work you know, compared to maybe that, that example we gave earlier um, when interacting with a you know, non-EVM chain or uh, sorry, an EVM chain that uh, would implement say a ZKIBC uh, implementation, how that, um, how would that transfer work? Yeah. So for, for us, we wanted to have a, a default, but sane security uh, a model for going to Ethereum. So we wanted to rely on uh, consensus-based security. So we wanted to have some, some way to prove the consensus of our chain on, on Ethereum. And there's multiple ways to do that. Uh, we looked into doing it naively, which was too expensive. We looked into generating uh, essentially a, a ZK proof, a zero knowledge proof of consensus of a polymer on, on, that, on a particular chain we realized that generating the proof would become too expensive. So we went down this path of building ZK Mint, which, which we'll talk about soon. But the idea of ZK Mint was we want to both be able to prove consensus, but also be able to do it efficiently within a reasonable time period. You don't want to wait like I don't know, 30 minutes to generate a proof. You want to only wait like a few seconds. So the idea is for ZK Mint. So ZK Mint is like a light, uh, a Tendermint light client that can run as can it run as an Ethereum contract? Is that the idea? The verifier for zk mint proofs can run as Ethereum contract. Right. Zk okay. mint itself is a is a is a tenement or a comet BFT fork. Okay. So so uh, if, if like Ethereum validators could run zk mint, um, they will be able to verify the proof, uh, verify the state of a say a cosmos chain and yes. then using the verifier that's uh sort of a smart contract on ethereum they would be able to verify that state on chain yes that's correct yes. okay the um it, yeah sorry go ahead no, no go on i was, I was just going to say that uh we'll, we'll talk about how optimistic plays into this as well how like the two uh, interplay together very nicely but on on the zk min side it is so like we have some marketing out, it is uh, like a ZK friendly tournament consensus. 
but I would I would say that it's it's a little bit more than that. Uh, from my perspective, we kind of see like the high level idea is that if you want to bridge or sit between different ecosystems, right now bridging the cosmos is like fairly simple because every chain is more or less the same. It's, it's very homogenous in terms of the architecture. But when you're going across ecosystems, all the all the architecture becomes heterogeneous. So in order for someone something that sits in the middle to be efficient, you need to be adaptive. So I, as a middle hop, need to be able to adapt perhaps the header format that I'm generating. I'm not committing to different data. This is just how the data is, is structured. <clears throat> that data needs to be structured in a way that's like easy to verify or easy to be verified on a particular execution environment. So the ZKMint's actual innovation is uh, being able to derive multiple versions of, of, of a header. So the same data, but multiple versions securely and allow for us to be able to be adaptive to all these different execution targets, regardless of whatever we're connecting to, like establish the most efficient connection possible with that, with like, with a high level of security. Okay. So if, if the way I understand that, so we, we may have uh, like header formats on Cosmos and header formats uh, on EVM chains that are different. Uh, what Polymer would do in this, which Polymer access here is sort of the, uh, it, it has its own header format that it, it, it will interpret any sort of header format that will get interpreted then by destination chains that are uh, compatible or sort of like it'll convert them back into whatever the destination yeah. chain needs as a header format. So it, it's kind of like a, a translation layer also that sits between these different chains. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So okay. got it. We, we're able to kind of be backwards compatible with all existing Cosmos chains while being forwards compatible or, or, or be able to create efficient connections on any number of uh, new chains as well. Okay, interesting. And so for this to work, I mean, you guys are deploying obviously ZK verifiers on all of all of the kind of EVM chains so that EVM chains can uh, efficiently verify tenement consensus using this ZK Mint. What about other chains? So what about, you know, mm -hmm. say Solana or... Uh, I guess near is an EVM chain, but like the move ecosystem or other VMs that and consensus mechanisms that are not Cosmos and, and EVM. It, it works just the same. So the verification logic is um, like you, you could implement the verification logic anywhere. So the currently the types of proofs that we use is Groth 16. Uh, without diving into too many details on the math mathematical side, you're essentially performing a few pairing checks to verify a proof. So like in the smart contract, you would have to define uh, all of the, the pairing check logic, uh, which is just some mathematical functions. And you would do this check about like three times. So uh, like th th this would be able to like verify that proof. So it, it, it's something that you can implement anywhere. Yeah. Okay. And so, so the ZK, uh, the ZK Mint is, is useful in the context of Ethereum. Uh, is is the optimistic the zk op, uh, optimistic ZK, optimistic ibc uh, then more useful in the context of say celestia or optimistic uh, settlement solutions well it's definitely useful in the context of an optimistic rollup because you you need to like there's no other way to to kind of uh, speak directly to an optimistic rollup since since the the connection the, the nature of the rollup is is is, is optimistic the, the nice property of that we found 
going to Ethereum was that if we only use ZK proofs, so like we, we figured out how to reduce the verification gas cost of the verification of tournament consensus down to something reasonable reasonable ish on the order of over uh, 300,000 gas still though. Uh, we found that if you wanted to like do this verification at some reasonable latency, let's like 10 second, 30 second latency, you're going to incur significant operating costs on the order of perhaps $10 million to over $100 million if the network is, is highly active. And this is just not practical. And, and most folks, like even with some incentives in place like ICS-29, it, it's possible that you have to wait forever for enough incentives to accrue to pay a $40 cost to do this client update. Client updates in the Cosmos are insanely cheap, like for in most cases on the order of cents. Uh, but this client update is going to be like $40, $100 maybe even. Um, so, so we're like thinking about how do we, you know, balance the cost aspect without not losing, without trading off on, on, this, on the security side. We're like, okay, if you use optimistic, with add an optimistic verification, you get nice properties from both. So with an optimistic verification approach, you essentially set a uh, max bound on the latency that you have to wait. So let's say there's not much ac economic activity going on. You can you know, post a new uh, update. So to, uh, update the, the state of the, the client and you can wait some period of time. Let, let's say like 30 minutes to an hour. And after that period of time, it's now that connection is settled and you're able to transact. Uh, within the fraud window, you can use the ZK proof both as a fault proof to prove that something, that fraud was committed. Some relayers posted a, an invalid client update. You can prove that. You can also use it as a validity proof. So it has a, is a, is a dual use case, meaning that if I want to speed up this process, so I, I don't want to ma ma wait the whole fraud window. Someone has like a really big transfer. They, they want to transfer like, I don't know, $10 million. And they're like, oh, $40? I'm willing to pay that. Uh, I'll, I'll give out $40 in incentives. And now everyone's transactions can go through. Like uh, we use a ZK proof. We prove consensus right away. Everybody's transactions can go through. So can, can you talk a little bit about um, your collaboration with Celestia and how you facilitate transactions to Celestia rollups? And I, I, I specifically, I'm, I'm curious about you know, there, there are many different settlement um, uh, sort of like ro roll up uh, solutions on Celestia. So like Dimension and um, roll apps, et cetera. Um, what, how, how does uh, Polymer then interact with all of those? Are there different implementations for each of these solutions? Or can you interact just with the data availability there at Celestia? Like at, at which state, at which uh layer of the stacker is Polymer interacting with? Polymer can serve as a middle hop between like rollups in the Celestia ecosystem and, and um, app chains. It, it can serve as kind of like a pseudo like soft confirmation layer, uh, so to speak, meaning that if you have a bunch of optimistic rollups, you can technically have those optimistic rollups connect to Polymer first. And Polymer can kind of like, I guess, like verify for some roles it makes sense. It's like, you can kind of do the verification. So if you if you do the execution right away, you can say that is this right or wrong? I can soft attest to this, and you know this is a but this is a different security model. You're going to have to account for this. So Polymer can do that, uh, but but I, I would say that some of our work, ongoing work with a number of these rollups is to get IBC natively in, implemented into those particular rollups. 
they can also opt to connect directly. So the nice thing about IBC is you're not forced to use a particular settlement layer. So like if you think about the settlement layer is like, uh, we're like that I finalize all of my transactions that are, it is like canonical view for sovereign rollups. There's no like canonical settlement layer. So they kind of settle on all their bridges. With IBC, you can basically use anyone. You can connect directly to them if you want to run this optimistic client, but maybe not everyone wants to run the optimistic client. Polymer can do that on their behalf. So it's kind of like, it makes the UX easier for chains that don't necessarily want to run the optimistic verifier for every single like rollup. Cause like every single rollup, uh, the optimistic fraud proofs for that rollup may require the app chain to run uh, WASM, uh, sorry, um, like, a, like a, a WASM like fraud proof like verifier. Maybe it's um, MIPS based, maybe it's, uh, you, maybe you have to run the whole app chain. So like, I, I believe that there's like um, some chains that you have to generate a whole, um, I guess like IBC app, sorry, uh, Cosmos app for that chain and re-execute all those transactions to identify the faulty transaction if they don't have like a more granular fraud proof uh, mechanism. So it, it's a lot of overhead for, for every chain to, to, to do that. Okay, interesting. Um, I'd like to maybe like talk a little bit about um, about you know the 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 network topology of of IBC chains and uh, like currently as IBC exists in Cosmos, you know we talked about this a little bit earlier. Is we have a, a very hub and spoke like model where you know a chain has to have um, uh, transport layers or essentially relays with all other chains that it wants to send tokens to. And, and you have to multiply this, right? Times X number of chains. Now there, there is some, some, some routing that can happen, or I believe that's um, not yet fully implemented, right? Like the, the routing between chains that would allow you to move tokens from like chain A to chain Z, right? And like, it'll just go through uh, whatever chains that it can find a passageway. Mm. Um, like this, this doesn't feel very efficient, right? Currently in its implementation. What, what is the ideal network topology for, for IBC for that to be as efficient as possible? And does, mm -hmm. does Polymer have a, a role to play in creating more efficiency between all the IBC chains as you know, acting as kind of a middle hop between any IBC transfer, whether it's happening within Cosmos or outside of Cosmos or, you know? Mm -hmm. I would say that the most efficient network topology is probably going to be multi-hub and spoke. So if I, if I think about like the internet, you have uh, like a lot of nodes talking to like a, a local router, which then like forwards those uh, packets onwards. So this is kind of already, you can already kind of visualize this like multi-hub and spoke model. The work, our work on multi-hub IBC is going to help somewhat alleviate the needing to transfer across like a bunch of different chains if there's not a direct path between one chain and, and the destination that you want to transfer to. With, with multi-hop, you can establish a channel directly over existing connections between uh, chain A and chain Z. This improves the UX uh, a little bit. You can further improve this by allowing people to perhaps like upgrade between different paths and also specify multiple paths potentially as well. Because then now, now the liveness of the path is 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 better. Um, obviously, this there's some security considerations here to be made, but um, 
you, you can essentially have like multiple paths like leading uh, or backing a particular channel. So those, the, the channel liveness can, can, be, can be a little bit better as well. Um, Polymer's role, in my opinion, is based on uh, the question that I posed earlier in the, in the podcast around in a world where every chain has IBC natively uh, on, the, on that particular chain, what does the most efficient middle hop look like? And our, our perspective is that a very efficient middle hop is going to be a, a master at adaptation. We're going to be, because if you're connecting different like heterogeneous ecosystems, the middle hop has to be very adaptive. And we kind of already see it with modular blockchains. If you establish a new modular blockchain, let's say it's an optimistic rollup, then as I mentioned earlier, you have to kind of expose the verification details of that execution to every other chain, the IBC network, unless there's a hub that you can connect to that abstracts away those um, those uh, uh, implementation details. I believe that's how Dimensions Hub works with its rollups. I, I think that if you just talk to Dimensions Hub, that you're you think you're talking to like one of its rollups. At least that's my uh, naive understanding um, from, from from their docs. Okay, and when when considering you know. The, the fact that Polymer sits as a middle hop and you know, if Polymer is successful, it could sit as a middle hop between lots of different chains and potentially you know, have like lots of liquidity going through it. Um, is it ideal for, for Polymer to have this, this important of a role as kind of sort of central hop where if polymer goes down or you know if something happens to those those um those that transport layer that essentially you know the, the rest of the chains that are dependent on it would not be able to send tr transactions anymore so it's like you know we started off right like ibc is great because it's it's a decentralized network of chains and we'll always find like some sort of a, a, um some, some some sort of a route to be able to send assets from one chain to another it doesn't depend on any central hub and now we're sort of like you know exploring this idea of having a an ibc hub um what, what do you think is the right balance there and like what how do we deal with those trade-offs yeah so the long or long-term vision um is going to be on the order of trust minimization we, you know, identify that there is some issues with, you know, having a, a single hub between all these different chains. Ideally, chains shouldn't need to rely on on having having a, a, a needing a middle hop, per, per, per se. Uh, our long term plans for zk IBC is we want to implement all the IBC transport logic in zk circuits. So what this means is that even if Palmer is never online, you can be, you'll be able to generate a Z, at a very high level. You'll be able to generate a zk proof of this uh, of the underlying connectivity between chain A and chain Z through, through Polymer. So if Polymer sitting in the middle of these two chains, it will be as if like Polymer didn't like, technically exist as a chain. It, it, it's, a, it's a provable uh, channel path between these two chains now, if, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, no, that, I, I understand. So without, even with Polymer not being there because these chains would be using um, uh, Polymer's uh, transport layer, they would still be able to talk to each other directly without Polymer facilitating the transfer. 
Yeah, so that, that's the long-term plan, but I think there's like certain caveats to this requiring that. I think there'll be a hybrid approach. I think some chains will uh, need, like for like if it's optimistic rollup, like you need to optimistically verify um, the, the, yeah. the rollup you need, like this problem appears. So, so, so there's like some mechanisms on a chain-to-chain -chain basis, maybe they can rely on full ZK. So maybe like the, the channel path between two chains can be full ZK. Maybe it can't, maybe it needs that middle hop. I think it's gonna be somewhat of a hybrid model in, in the future. Hmm. So what's the, what's the roadmap and, you know, talk a little bit about some of the teams that are building on Polymer and what do you, who do you expect uh, to, to be integrating Polymer uh, when Polymer hits mainnet? Yeah. So we expect to obviously integrate all of the existing teams building in the cosmos uh, and that, that are IBC enabled, but what, what we're really trying to target um, in, in like soon after launch, so initially we're just going to uh, establish connectivity to Ethereum or IBC connectivity to Ethereum. We really want to push IBC as the interoperability story for rollups, since I imagine that in the future a lot of activity is going to move from ETH L1 to the various rollups building on top of them, and there will be a lot of uh, rollups in the Cosmos ecosystem, in the Celestial ecosystem, and, and so on. And I think that the the IBC or the interoperability story for rollups is still like yet to be established, and uh, and and like IBC is a critical component of that. Like we need to get IBC in the OP stack, we need to get IBC uh, in like the Ethereum ecosystem, and the way we do it natively is, is through a, it, it's many rollups. Because like, I think getting IBC natively into Ethereum L1 uh, is is kind of a is is probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but on the rollups, rollup side, it's it's much more uh, possible. Cool. What's the, what's the roadmap for uh, for mainnet? Yeah. So our, our role for mainnet is we're going to establish uh, connectivity to Ethereum first, and then we're going to target connectivity to various um, uh, rollup networks uh, on, on Ethereum as well. Um, in addition to kind of rollups uh, in, in in the Cosmos uh, side. Sorry, I mean like, what's the timeline? <laughs> oh, the timeline. Oh, sorry. Um, we're shooting for early next year. Uh, we're launching, we're currently in a private testnet, but we're thinking to, to launch the public testnet later this year um, and then followed by, by a mainnet uh, early next year. Okay, cool. And like, can, can people already start uh, leveraging like early primitives that uh, Polymer are, are building to start integrating with say the rollups or their app chain? Yeah, so we're planning on releasing some docs uh, around IBC SDK. And with IBC SDK, you'll both be able to interact with existing Cosmos chains as well as Polymer and, and, and build uh, on IBC transport on, uh, on smart contracts on Ethereum and be able to interact between Ethereum and Cosmos chains and so on. All right, cool. Well, thanks a lot for, uh, for coming on. This has been really interesting. I've learned a ton about IBC and how it works, and I hope uh, people who are listening also learned more about IBC and yeah, really looking forward to seeing Paul Urban go live and creating more interoperability between Cosmos and the rest of the blockchain ecosystem. So thanks, Bo. Thanks, Ed.